1989, things were going great for a guy named Arsenio Hall. He had one of the top late-night talk shows. He was booking guests that were popular that people wanted to see. And he captured the demographic between 18 and 30, something Johnny Carson was struggling to keep. Arsenio Hall was simply the new guy on the block, and everybody loved him. There was a high demand for his show. It was a pop culture phenomenon, really. So what happened? It feels like we had Arsenio Hall forever, right? But we didn't. We only had Arsenio Hall for a short period of time. Going from the heights of greatness in late-night television to being almost non-existent and relevant is something that's really shocking when you look back on it. There's one question that I hear a lot from Generation Xers. It's, what happened to the Arsenio Hall show? Well, this is 21 years, and what we do here is investigate things like this. I consider Arsenio Hall's show a cold case file, a missing show file, a file that we have to really dig in to find out what really happened. Where's this missing Arsenio Hall show, and how did it go from the heights of greatness to the lowest of lows? We're going to discover that tonight, guys. You're listening to 21 Years. I'm Sam L. Dangeroso, and this is what happened to the Arsenio Hall show. Don't even try to tell me that doesn't take you back, because I know that it does. Everybody remembers that theme song. Of course, it's the Arsenio Hall Show. And uh, that's going to be our topic tonight, because I know you've wondered it. What happened to the Arsenio Hall Show? I didn't know until I kind of dug into it and started researching it. So we got a lot of really cool things that kind of come into a play here with Arsenio Hall. But I'm going to do a couple of different things with this show. Number one, I want to remind you to go join the Facebook page. Uh, 21 Years is on Facebook. Please go join. Uh, We post the episodes there. We have discussions. We post old commercials from the 80s and 90s. We have discussions about the 80s and 90s. It is in its infant stage, so it's still kind of going along. This show is not quite hugely popular yet, but it's coming along pretty well. And that's because of you guys. So please subscribe and please tell other people that you think would be interested uh, in a show like this that, uh, hey, I know this really great 80s, 90s show. Uh, It's a podcast. It's called 21 Years. You guys should check it out. I would really appreciate if you did that to your friends and family, harass them, make them regret the day that they uh, ever crossed you and and never listened to anything that you advised them on, because this is the day to get them convinced and to sell them on how great 21 years is. I'm just kidding. Hopefully you do that anyway without me telling you. Uh, One thing I want to tell you guys, I watched Conan the Barbarian. I I think the last time I watched it was 20 years ago. Of course, this is with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal something that I really shouldn't to you guys. I honestly, for some reason, all these years, and I may have known this as a kid, and I just kind of forgot. I completely forgot there was like a part two of the Conan the Destroyer. And I know, I know, I, I shouldn't even be doing this show, saying this and admitting it to you guys. But it's true. I, I, for some reason, it, it just blanked my mind. So I'm gonna go watch Conan the Destroyer. I know I've seen it. But I need to go back and watch it again. But uh, you know what? Conan the Barbarian was actually pretty good for the time. Kind of forget if these shows were really going to hold up and you go back and watch them or not. And 
I don't even know what made me want to watch Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I remember loving it as a kid. I'm trying to revisit a lot of things to get myself in the mind for this podcast. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun. I'm trying to think of where it was free. Maybe it was free on Prime, uh, if you guys are looking for it. But definitely it was a free stream on one of those. Now, I don't have cable anymore. And a lot of people ask me about this, so I'll tell you guys how I do it. I basically canceled my cable and went with another company that just did Wi-Fi. And so I set up my Wi-Fi, bought the Roku uh, for each TV. And no, it didn't cost me any more than $35 per TV. And you can get the cheaper ones too. But anyway, uh, set up all the TVs with the Roku, which is my favorite player, by the way, stream, uh, stream player. And then just begin to go through uh, figuring out how I was going to do local television. So I did that, um, or network television. So I did that through Hulu. I did the Hulu television package. So, you know, I can see basketball games or football games that are on national TV. I don't miss those things. Uh, and I rarely even go on there. I might watch some news in the morning. That's about it. And if it's like a game that's coming up, I might watch the game there. But then it was pretty simple. Once I did the Hulu thing, I got Hulu and the TV uh, package. So that took care of my basically my network TV stuff. But Hulu is also pretty much a network TV streaming service. And then from that down the list, you know, you add on Prime, which I got to be honest with you. I really think if it wasn't for the free shipping, I'd be out on Prime. It's amazing to me that I pay, and it's not that much. I mean, you're paying $100 a year. It may have gone up since then. I'm paying this monthly fee, though. I don't know if they divide it in monthly fee anymore. Mine comes all out at one time. But, yeah, you know, you're paying for so many shows. I mean, it's like I'm paying this much money, and you're still making me pay... You know, how much would you would you charge me just to give me all the shows for free like everybody else does? It's I, I really kind of have this weird mixed feeling about Prime. And if it really wasn't for the free shipping, because I use them a lot for shopping, I probably wouldn't have them. I just feel like I've got to pay for everything that they have on there. There's, the Prime shows are not that great. And the free movies aren't that, you know, I can get them most of the time somewhere else. But anyway, uh, so we do Prime. Uh, one that I'm really, really huge on is the uh, Peacock Network, which is NBC, but they bought a ton of stuff. So I don't know how relevant this is to 80s, 90s stuff, early 2000, maybe if you were a queen of uh, a King of Queens fan. Everybody Loves Raymond, 30 Rock, all that stuff. And a lot of older stuff like Grounded for Life, which I was a big fan of. That was a hilarious show. But all of those things you'll find on Peacock. And I think it's about... Hmm, seven, eight dollars. I want to say off the top of my head, I'm probably wrong there, but very cheap. And then HBO Max is probably the more expensive one that I pay for, but you know, we got to have friends in this household. That's a necessary thing. Also, Peacock 2 to go back is where the office, you'll find the office if you're a big office fan, which I am. Uh, you'll find it also at Peacock. But anyway, so HBO Max, and HBO Max is good because a lot of times you'll get movies out before they actually hit the theaters. So you'll, you'll be able to watch that. I watched Wonder Woman 84. Uh, I have nothing really positive to say other than it was really cool to do. See the 1984 version of Wonder Woman and kind of remember some things. You know, that's kind of like with Stranger Things. I don't understand Stranger Things. I don't get Stranger Things. I don't really understand the storyline. But I love the 80s references. I love going back and seeing the bikes and new Coke and all that stuff on the screen. So, you know, I love the eighties references, the arcades and all that. But of course we have Netflix going along with stranger things there. 
that pretty much holds it down. You know, the staple here is, the, you know, your Hulu, your Netflix, your HBO Max, your Mac, and your Prime will hold everything down as long as you get the Hulu uh, live television. I did have YouTube uh, television, which I thought was a better product, but the cost was a little bit more. And I said, well, I've already got Hulu, and that included the whole Disney Plus thing if you're into that. So, you know, and I had an had ESPN package included with the Hulu. It just seemed like a better deal. But a lot of people ask me, how'd you get rid of cable? Our household just got to the point where we really just enjoyed streaming things. We, as soon as something plays on, on national, on a, on a broadcast, you pretty much pick it up on Hulu 24 hours later anyway. So, you know, and then you just add apps as you go. I mean, we've got the CW, we've got MTV for some reason. Don't ask me. I don't even know why. Actually try to watch, <laughs> try to watch the teen drama series of uh, Teen Wolf through MTV and it wasn't even on there. It was some kind of weird like uh, talk show about Teen Wolf. It was stupid. Anyway, you got to understand my demographic is 18 to 34 female. I don't know why that's the shows I watch. <laughs> Supernatural. I mean, as far as new stuff, you know, but uh, you know, Supernatural and Riverdale and all that stuff. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Uh, but anyway, but that's kind of how I do it. I don't miss cable TV at all. You'll probably hear me mention here that I found a show on this, you know, network or this streaming service to check it out. So, you know, send me a message if there's uh, any questions that you have on that. I'll be happy to answer them. But leaving cable was not hard. I think we just convinced ourselves that we need it. Oh, the other thing that I did, too, was I went and bought a uh, subscription to TV Guide. And I know you're probably snickering right now. But the truth of the matter is is that this TV guy has been one of the most amazing bi-weekly magazines I get. And it's because it really breaks down all the shows that are coming out, all the um, things that have been renewed, and it'll have like a sci-fi special, and you know where they talk about all the sci-fi shows that are coming in the fall. And TV Guide's totally worth it. I think I paid $20 for that subscription. And it's, it's truly one of the best, most affordable, most entertaining periodicals I have ever purchased. So please don't forget the TV guys out there. Bring it back in your home, right? Bring it back. Go to TV guide. I think it's probably tvguide.com. Pay your $20, get an annual subscription. You won't regret it. And it's just fun. It's so much fun. Like I got told my wife, I said, you know, here I am surfing the guide up and down, up and down, left and right, up and down, trying to find something to watch. Isn't it nice just to open the TV guide and look at the physical guide and go skip, 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 skip. Oh, 9.30. This is coming. This might be where. I'm telling you, the TV guy is still valuable. It's still very valuable. I wish I had always had it. You know, we all went through that period of time. I wish I could find a box of old ones from the 80s, to be honest with you. But I think that we go through that period of time where we kind of grow out of the TV guide. It's kind of our parents thing. And we don't really get it anymore. I remember people looking for <laughs> television guides in the newspaper. But we kind of advance, you know, life moves on. We become better, stronger, faster, fitter. And we don't need the TV guide anymore and it goes away. But it's still there. And I'm telling you, if you're like me, it's really nice to sit down. It'll even tell you uh, when shows are being released on streaming services. They've done a really great job of the TV guide. They pack a lot of info in there without oversaturating it. It's just the right amount of, like, television information and so much fun to look at. So... Uh, that's also a big part of the streaming thing that I do is having the ability to go and, uh, you know, go to the TV guide and see what's coming on. 
and then being able to go back and stream it later. So I don't miss new shows or whatever if you're into that. Um, but anyway, like I said, I get asked a lot of questions about the streaming service, the cable thing. and But now we've got to kind of talk about the topic at hand. And I think it's a really good one. Like I told you, it feels like a, a lot like a cold case file where we're kind of exploring what happened, digging down into the evidence, kind of putting things together. And I do think a lot of people have asked the question, what happened to the Arsenio Hall show? I mean, this was at its peak, guys. I mean, I don't know anyone that really knows what happened. I'm sure there are people that are. I'm not, I'm not all knowing. You know, I'm just all almost knowing. But there are people out there that know all these things, and I'm not trying to be that person for you all the time. But on this topic, I think I've got it nailed down, and it took a lot of investigating. This wasn't something that was just spelled out. Like, here's what happened. It was a lot of digging around, trying to find little pieces of the pie and make it a little more clear to what happened to the show as, as we go forward. So now it's time to click on the flux capacitor, get a, you know get you a turtle pudding pie and a high C ecto cooler out of the refrigerator because we're going back in time to investigate a pop culture cold case. What happened to the Arsenio Hall show? But first we got to figure out how did Arsenio even get a talk show? Because I don't remember Arsenio prior to Arsenio Hall show. I mean, I didn't really even know that the show was a big deal until I started seeing some of the guests that he was going to have on the show uh, through ads that they ran. And to this day, up until jumping down the rabbit hole here, I didn't really even know where Arsenio came from. And as it turns out, it starts with Fox Network. Before you political nut jobs, go to change the channel to something else. Listen to another podcast because I said Fox. We're not talking about the news channel. That wouldn't be until 1996. We're talking about the Fox TV channel, which started in 1986. In 1986, Fox was trying to compete with the big three television networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. In doing so, Fox decided on taking more chances with younger programming, Married with Children, 21 Jump Street, The Tracy Ullman Show, and later The Simpsons. But they also wanted to compete in the late-night talk show segment. Fox decided to give controversial comedian Joan Rivers her own talk show. They called it The Late Show Starring Joan Rivers. I'm going to give them no points for creativity there. But Rivers was to go directly against a talk show that she had guest hosted before, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And this move caused its own issues between Johnny Carson and Joan Rivers as a friendship. Because Johnny Carson had kind of groomed Joan Rivers to take over The Tonight Show when he was ready to leave. And she jumped to a new ship at Fox to do her own show as Johnny was negotiating a deal for her to take over for him when he retired. So needless to say, he was a bit miffed. And when she called to talk to him about it, he would not take her call after the fact when he heard about it on the news. So uh, just for reference there, this is a hot spot. And if you remember this a little bit from the National Enquirer and magazines when we were growing up, that was a rift between Johnny Carson and Joan Rivers. She had gotten an offer for her own show, which she took. And this entire time, he was working out a deal for her to take over The Tonight Show. So needless to say, that friendship kind of spoiled a little bit. Her show was going to go directly against The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson in the exact same time slot. The Rivers talk show started off to a moderate ratings, only to slump more. And really in classic Joan Rivers fashion... The relationship between her and Fox executives had begun to intensify and become toxic. And in 1987, Rivers left the show. 
Fox changed the name to The Late Show, again, create a point, and went through a roulette of guest hosts. Up until now, Arsenio Hall had made his way from the stage as a stand-up comedian to getting hired as a sidekick and an announcer on Alan Thicke's late-night talk show called Thick of the Night. Prior to Thicke getting his major TV role on Growing Pains, Alan Thicke had a huge following in Canada as a daytime talk show host on his show, The Alan Thicke Show. The show only made it one season in 1983, and the talk show received harsh critical backlash for having a lot of skits. Something that would become a staple of late-night talk shows in the future for like Fallon and Conan O'Brien. One of the bright spots of Thick of the Night was Arsenio Hall's quick wit, charisma, and likability. However, after Thick of the Night, Arsenio Hall was out of work and struggling to find a career path. He did some time on shows like The Match Game. You can only find work through voicing cartoons, doing the iconic voice of Winston Zedmer on The Real Ghostbusters. Arsenio got a big break when he was asked to actually host for that failing late show that Joan Rivers had when none of the ghost when none of the guest hosts improved any of the ratings. With Arsenio's time in the chair, the late show saw a noticeable uptick in young viewership. Now, I have seen some episodes of The Late Show with Arsenio hosting it, and you can't help but see Arsenio's natural ability to be funny and sincere. Plus, he's so likable. You see all the reasons why his ride to stardom was kind of quick. He just seemed genuine in his ability to connect with guests and the audience. And he had a real natural flow. But sadly, The Late Show could never recoup enough viewers to keep the show on air. The one noticeable thing, though, was that Arsenio began to have a real following. The numbers jump in the younger demographic for the show as Hall developed a cult following. Eventually, Arsenio was so popular that when the show was set to cancel, Arsenio was actually given an additional 13 weeks before the show finally ended from Fox. And in 1988, Hall's popularity with the 18 to 34 demographic couldn't be ignored. And Paramount signed him to a talk show deal that would be a syndication on CBS's networks. Now, this is really important as we go forward. He signed to Paramount. Arsenio Hall's show is a Paramount show, but it's going to be distributed and put into syndication on CBS uh, broadcast. So basically, Paramount is having CBS piggyback the show and show it in their affiliate cities and whatnot. So this is going to be a big deal as we go forward to help understand what really happened to the show. So why was it so popular? In January 1989, the Arsenio Hall show debuted it, and it was a winner from the start. The reason it hit the ground running in comparison to the multitude of other failed late-night shows was due to Hall's experience. Unlike Pat Sajak or Rick Dees or Alan Thicke, who came from daytime talk, and Magic Johnson... Arsenio was the only one who had actual late-night talk show experience. He was also able to capture a demographic that was falling away from late-night, a demographic that was tired of Carson ruling late-night and his dated jokes and guest list, the 18-34 demographic. Carson had dominated late-night for so long that it became our father's talk show. Carson and the show's management was beginning to become extremely stale. And Hall was the perfect late-night host to pull the younger generation into late-night talk. Arsenio Hall wasn't a stage actor. He wasn't fake. And he was a natural who honed his skills doing stand-up work and working on other talk shows. His questions were genuine and real. 
He also had this strange ability to almost create the fourth person that he talked to off screen. You know, you go back and watch the shows. There are moments he's making a comment in very high... There are times that he's making comments in high action sequences on the show that aren't directed at the audience, the crew, or the viewer. It's almost like he mastered the art of the inside joke, where we as viewers were a part of a conversation the audience and crew weren't. It's a strange dynamic, but I've only seen Arsenio Hall really do it. It's almost like he's commenting to himself, which I believe makes the viewer feel more intimate with Arsenio and builds a bond with the viewer. The only reason for Arsenio's insane popularity was the daily guest lineup. I think if there's one thing that I have to absolutely give credit to Hall for, it's never skirting an interview or a guest. Some of Hall's best episodes are completely related to untraditional guests on his show. Wrestlers, for example. Hall was the first host to really embrace the wrestling Hall was the first host to really embrace the wrestling community, realizing the popularity of Hulkamania at the time. Wrestlers had never been popular talk show guests before, and they stayed in character making that an awkward, funny interview with Arsenio. Not only was it cringeworthy for Arsenio, but also made for some must-see TV for the viewers. The relationship paid off big time for Arsenio, because he not only got the wrestling fans to check out his show, he was also trusted by the wrestlers. When the steroid scandal shocked the wrestling world, who was trusted to interview Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage? Arsenio Hall. Hall's guest list was not a copy of Johnny Carson's Little Black Book of Has-Beens. Hall was attacking the younger demographic by becoming the talk show host of the MTV generation. Hall was aware of who was up and coming, but also had set the perfect trap for big stars that were still relevant to want to come onto a show and promote things they were doing. Stars like Prince, Michael Jackson, the Ultimate Warrior, Vanilla Ice, NWA, actually Jason Voorhees, the Van Halen family, Mariah Carey, Jim Carey, Dice Clay, New Kids on the Block, Madonna, Eddie Murphy, you name it. Anyone on the pop culture scene in the late 80s and early 90s had a desire to be a guest on Arsenio Hall. His segment, Things That Make You Go Hmm, in which Hall shared thoughts he had on his drive-in from work often joking that he still drove to work in L.A. every day from Cleveland, Ohio, and became a popular song by CNC Music Factory. Arsenio's popularity exploded, and he began to take over late night. The show was gifted with the capturing important moments like Magic Johnson's discussing his AIDS diagnosis, rappers discussing their public feuds, Mariah Carey singing for the first time live on TV, and of course, Bill Clinton playing saxophone with the band, which gave him a cool factor with the younger audience that Arsenio had in his clutches. Probably one of the biggest moments on the show was when Hall was interrupted by the Gay Nation, an activist group in the 90s who pushed Hall on why he didn't have more gay guests on his show. The hecklers lambasted Arsenio in the opening of the show from the audience section. Arsenio barked back that he didn't look at a guest's sexual orientation when booking them on his show, and that they had, in fact, had gay guests on the show in the past. Arsenio also said that most of his guests that were gay wanted to keep that to themselves and it was nobody's business. And when questioned on Arsenio's jokes towards the gay community, Arsenio then begins a tirade on how he makes jokes about a multitude of sensitive subjects, from sexuality to race, and that people understand that it's comedy, even remarking, why aren't you on Johnny Carson's show to ask him why he does it? The Arsenio Hall show had really skyrocketed in popularity. And at the height of that popularity, things begin to kind of change. 
And now it's kind of where we talk about what happened. We already have talked about why he got there, how he got there, the phenomenon that the show was, but what really happened? So you've got to remember, the show is now kind of approaching this early 90s area of time, okay? And although we're engaging our wonderful memories of why Arsenio Hall show was so great, unfortunately, you kind of have to dig into what happened to the show. And by the mid-90s, the late-night landscape was looking a lot different. Johnny Carson had turned the show over to comedian Jay Leno. Now, in return, this could be a show all in itself, because I'm going to remind you of something called the Late Night Wars and how that really affected Arsenio Hall. So the Tonight Show is turned over to Jay Leno. And David Letterman was upset about this, and he wanted to move his show to CBS after 13 years on NBC because he was passed over for Jay Leno as the host of the Tonight Show. David Letterman had been priming himself after Joan Rivers was out of the picture to move into that spot where Johnny Carson was. When he was passed over for Jay Leno, David Letterman gets very upset about this. Now, the important thing to remember is that the Arsenio Hall show was a Paramount show, not a CBS show, and it was syndicated on CBS stations. This presented a problem for Arsenio's future we're about to see here. Letterman was now going to CBS, which felt it had a host in Letterman that can compete with the still popular Tonight Show with Leno. Knowing how angry Letterman was over NBC passing him over for the hosting opportunity in favor of Leno, the rivalry and the mindset of CBS could create a real war in late night, which they felt Letterman could win. So the Arsenio Hall show became a victim of many things. Being syndicated as one, which meant broadcasting had no loyalty to the show. He was syndicated and therefore a property of Paramount, not CBS. The other issue was that the late night wars was between networks. And even though Arsenio didn't have a dog in the fight, unfortunately, CBS and NBC did. Meaning that when it came to scheduling shows, CBS was going to put Letterman, a property they owned, in a prime spot after the news to compete directly with NBC's Tonight Show and Leno. This had always been famously Arsenio Hall's spot. Affiliates who carry the Arsenio Hall show did one of two things. Move Arsenio to a much later time slot, or dropping the Arsenio Hall show altogether. Damage was heavily done when in some instances Arsenio moved from 11 p.m. Eastern to 1 a.m. in some areas. Many fans thought Arsenio Hall just simply quit the show, or that it had been canceled and nobody knew, because it had now disappeared from their televisions after the news. Having a good time slot in television can mean all the difference, whether it's the right time of day, or the right day. And the time slot that was perfect for late night was right after the local news as, as people began to settle down for the night, kind of start crawling into bed or kind of eat their ice cream after dinner. They're going to catch a hour of late night television, uh, a late night talk shows, comedians and whatnot. And it was a prime time to be in. So now Arsenio Hall being moved to like 1 a.m. was devastating for his show and his ratings. And people didn't know where Arsenio was. And, and there were so many people that were mixed up in what was going on between Jay Leno and David Letterman. If you remember, there was even a um, kind of a biopic <laughs> about those uh, two and them fighting. And, and they had actors playing the role of Leno and Letterman. I mean, we can't understate how huge the late night wars really were back then. Letterman was furious. I don't think anybody can question the anger that David Letterman had. I mean, it was really palatable. 
uh, towards NBC. And Leno, you know, I don't think was a lot of people's favorite favorite candidate to come and take over The Tonight Show. And a lot of people thought for sure it was going to be Letterman. The tension was really hot between David Letterman's show and Jay Leno's Tonight Show. It, it got extremely hot. And the thing you have to remember, too, is that CBS, to their credit, saw The Tonight Show at its weakest point. It had a new host. I mean, Johnny Carson was an icon. But here comes Jay Leno. And it's at its weakest, most vulnerable point. Could CBS use David Letterman to pull and drag those viewers away from Leno? And honestly, the funny part to me is that they both kind of lasted. And the only person that really suffered from that was Arsenio Hall, who had nothing to do with any of it. But we have to also think about the other things, because there's a lot of elements that came into the Arsenio Hall show going away. So MTV had also cashed in when they started the Jon Stewart show in 1993. This caused Arsenio to lose a big portion of his demographic, the 18 to 34. The Jon Stewart show began to gather its own following by broadening its guest list with rival Arsenio Hall show guests. Where Arsenio was more urban at times with its subject matter, interviews, and guests, Jon Stewart went more for popular musicians and artists, many of whom were musicians who had transformed their careers into acting as well. So Jon Stewart's show, you know, was having on Marilyn Manson, was having on a lot of the big bands and singers at the time. And that was becoming appealing to the MTV generation. And they were having funny skits and whatnot. It fit more the MTV profile. Whereas Arsenio Hall was getting that MTV generation to tune in, MTV was able to kind of get them back by using Jon Stewart's show to do so. So that hit them very hard. And the funny thing about all this is that the Jon Stewart show was also owned by Paramount. Uh, and just distributed on MTV networks. So he kind of got it two ways from his very own, uh, basically the people who owned his contract and got him in another way, having a Jon Stewart show. But that wasn't it. See, the other problem for Arsenio Hall was that Fox wanted to jump into the late night wars. And they used their only weapon that they could find, which was a poor choice, in Chevy Chase. Now you may remember the Chevy Chase show. It was not a very good show and it didn't last very long. But Fox wanted in on the late night war, which saw a major uptick in viewership, which meant an uptick in commercials, an uptick in advertising. So, so much at stake here. And their answer was a terrible one, like I said, and it was Chevy Chase to give him his own late night show. They wanted to put the Chevy Chase show on at 11 o'clock as well. So Fox demanded everybody who carried their affiliations, every local broadcast on every major city, had to carry the Chevy Chase show or else. So Fox now had an 11 o'clock Chevy Chase show, which was also going against Arsenio Hall. So any affiliate that kept Arsenio Hall on the air in their affiliated stations in their cities had to move Arsenio Hall out of the way again and put him at later times in other markets so that Chevy Chase's show on Fox could actually be seen and compete in the late night wars. The sad part is, is that Chevy's ratings were absolutely awful. And by that demand being made by Fox to move Chevy Chase's show up at 11 o'clock and anything else out of the way, well, when Chevy Chase went off the air and I think it was seven weeks, Arsenio Hall was never moved back into his old time slot in those markets. He was still breathing. He was, the show was still alive. 
But all the attempts to destroy the show from those around him and an iconic marketing against Arsenio for Chevy's show hurt Hall's ratings so badly. And even though he was still alive, he did the most damage to himself. I mean, he had come from the top down to the bottom and he was still breathing and he was still holding on. But all the attempts to destroy his show from those around him and an ironic twist It would be Arsenio who would push his own knife deep enough to sever his future on network television. And you ask, what was that? I don't remember, right? Well, the final cut was Arsenio's own creation when he tried to rebound in ratings by interviewing the controversial National of Islam leader, Louis Farrakhan, in February of 1994. Hall received a lot of criticism for even booking Farrakhan in the first place and devoted an entire hour of his show to the interview. In 1984, Farrakhan reportedly referred to Judaism as a gutter religion and was quoted as calling Hitler a great man and later said that Hitler was wickedly great, calling Jews the bloodsuckers of the black nation. A coalition of Jewish, homosexual, and civil rights groups launched a campaign against Farrakhan's appearance on the show, buying a full-page ad in Thursday's Daily Variety to reprint quotes from previous Farrakhan speeches. The media was relentless in its criticism of Arsenio for giving Farrakhan a comfortable and warm place to spout his views to the world. Hall also promised to give Christian singer Kirk Franklin equal time, but he did not follow through and gave Farrakhan the entire hour. Despite the Arsenio Hall show being more geared towards urban culture, it was viewed mostly by a white demographic who felt insulted Arsenio would give Farrakhan that much time without bringing on an alternative view as he promised. Arsenio Hall, though, flexed back that he believed in free speech and thus supported Farrakhan's ability to be on the show and talk. Hall put a final nail in his own coffin when it was revealed later that the interview with Farrakhan cost him a drop of viewership of 24%. Arsenio gambled on controversy and lost, and on May 27, 1994, the Arsenio Hall show aired its final episode. The Arsenio Hall show only lasted five years, which is shocking when you consider how much the show held the attention of an entire generation. It started out of nowhere with a bang and fizzled quicker than your memory serves. It rose to great heights because it did something that Tonight Show stopped doing, promoting the interest of the youth. We didn't want another Burt Reynolds interview, another Dean Martin appearance, or another Play It Safe comedian. We wanted to see the up-and-coming stars of the MTV generation. We want to see wrestlers tearing up a guest couch. We want to see Michael Jackson and Eddie Murphy together on stage talking. Or Prince. Or Magic Johnson discussing his AIDS diagnosis. We want to see singers like Mariah Carey perform. We were heavily invested in rap feuds. Or why NWA broke up. The urban culture, which was Arsenio's main staple, was becoming an evolving culture filled with new popular music and hip-hop and rap and vibrant styles. Young, white, middle-class audiences were introduced to this whole new style and thus brought forth movies like House Party and new TV shows like MTV Raps, among other things like Family Matters on TGIF. I firmly believe Arsenio Hall brought urban awareness and culture, art, and style mainstream. The show itself may have been responsible for black culture being a part of the alternative scene, part of movies and television, radio, and MTV videos. We owe Arsenio and his show an incredible amount of gratitude. It's possible artists like Ice Cube never would have been part of Lollapalooza without Arsenio Hall bringing urban awareness to the mainstream. But sadly, all the parts that caused its demise were out of the control of Arsenio. 
The late night wars were a big deal, and the show simply got caught up in a battle it really didn't want or need to have. Leno gets the greatest late night talk show in history. Letterman seeks revenge by striking that deal with CBS. And with other networks getting involved, Hall's show was not part of a network exclusive deal. And so the Arsenio Hall show is pushed back and moved and lost in the cannon fire between CBS, NBC, and Fox. Then, of course, came Jon Stewart doing the MTV talk show directly to the MTV generation. And with a variety of acts and ability to interview anyone on top, unchallenged, the knife just went deeper in Arsenio. I do think the Farrakhan interview hurt Arsenio. And I do think Arsenio has to fall on the sword for that decision. Although an urban-based show... Arsenio Hall's audience was mainly white middle-class youth who took offense to Arsenio giving Farrakhan time to speak. I think it was a desperate move for Arsenio to get attention when he needed it most. And it's not always true that any news is good news, but I do get it. Arsenio was desperate and trying anything to salvage his career, but by then, his standing on the late-night talk show scene was thin, and everyone was just too interested in the war between Leno and Letterman. Arsenio Hall did a show for us, Generation X, and for four great years, that show was one of the most popular forms of entertainment my generation had. It didn't deserve to disappear in obscurity, but sadly, the graveyard of network television is filled with shows just like Arsenio's. For one last time, spin your fist, give out a bark, and remember what it was like to be part of something like the Dog Pound. The Arsenio Hall Show was the night talk show for our generation, and we will always remember the trails it blazed in our honor. Thank you, Arsenio, so much for the show you did. I hope you guys enjoy this uh, episode. It felt a little rushed. I have a lot of things kind of happening. It's been a crazy uh, couple of weeks here. I'm a little behind. I keep saying that. We're going to get caught up, I promise. I'm just looking for other topics that I think you guys will be interested in, and we'll tackle them. So you'll probably see a shotgun approach of a lot of episodes kind of coming at you. They may not be this long, um, but they'll be interesting stuff that I'm going to come across and do for you. So we're going to stay in the 80s and 90s as always. So just look for those coming out. I'll try to be a little bit more regular. I'm going to try to do every other week. That's where I'm going to try to keep my schedule. I've gotten off of that. I need to get back on it with summer and kids and everything else. Hope you understand. But uh, I love doing this. It's so much fun. Please keep subscribing. Don't forget to join our Facebook page. Uh, Help us grow there. Uh, that'll make you aware of episodes that are coming up because I'm kind of sneak releasing what the episodes are going to be there. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so don't forget to be a part of that. Thanks so much. Uh, as always, I want to tell my boys if they're listening, I love you in the future. Hopefully I'm still around, but uh, that's why I do the show. I do it for the for my uh, two boys to listen to how dad grew up. And I hope you guys enjoy it just the same. Uh, if you have any ideas, I love hearing them. Shoot them over to me, samwill2261 at gmail.com. I'll probably get an official show email at some point as we grow, but that all depends on you guys sharing it and telling other people. So please do that. Uh, It's an honor to come on here and do this for you guys, and I hope that uh, we can continue to blaze on and re-explore the 80s and 90s. Uh, So throw some suggestions at me. Go join the Facebook page. uh, Share this. Tell other people. It means a lot. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you on the next episode of 21 Years. I'm your host, El Dangeroso.